0: Gentlemen, introducing the Ball and Mitt Podcast, a willy-nilly talk show about baseball life and the occasional knee slapper. So grab your crackerjacks, sit back and relax. It's gonna be a doozy. Here's your host, the B M himself, Brian Brama. Hey, baseball fans! What is going on? Welcome to the Ball and Mitt Podcast. Well, 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 it is finally happening to a certain degree. MLB is in agreement with the Atlantic League for the next three years to implement some rules. And we're going to talk about it. I'm going to try to be opinionated, but also logical and rational. Not getting angry, because this isn't worth getting angry about. But I, I do have some some strong opinions on what this means, what I think MLB or Rob Manfred is is trying to do, what he's going to do, even if this isn't successful. Like, where is baseball going? I don't want to be dramatic, but I don't know. This wouldn't really be much of a show if there wasn't any drama. So, before we hit into that, I want to talk about some hardball headlines. Let's go. TheScore.com says the Arizona Diamondbacks and free agent outfielder Adam Jones are in agreement on a one-year deal, a source told ESPN's Jeff Passant. Once the contract is finalized, by I think at this point it is finalized. Jones is going to get three million dollars in 2019. Now he can also earn an additional two million in incentives. And this is sad. This is a sad day for me as an Orioles fan. I didn't think he was going to stay. You know, when Marcakis left about five years ago, very sad. Uh, there went some veteran leadership. Adam Jones. You know, they didn't offer him anything. I didn't think they would. Now he's going to Arizona. I'm sad. I really liked Adam Jones. Regardless of what you thought about his game in the past couple of years, just a fun personality, pieing people in the face, just his humor. It, it was it was kind of that that bright spot in a darkened locker room. So Adam Jones, best of luck to you. Uh, he actually made his MLB debut in 2006 with the Mariners and was traded to the Orioles along with Luke Scott before the 2008 season. Five-time MLB All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, and a Silver Slugger winner. We're going to miss you, Adam. Enjoy Arizona and not having to adapt to this stupid time change. Moving on. Bleacher Report. Now, this is this is something that they talked about. Everybody talked about this, okay? So it's not just them. This is where I'm getting some of my information just to let you know I'm not stealing anything. So let's look at a couple of comments made by Bryce Harper pertaining to good old Mike Trout. So I've got three quotes I'm going to go through, and then we'll unpack them real quick. Number one, if you don't think I'm going to call Mike Trout to come to Philly in 2020, you're crazy. Number two, just seeing where he grew up in Philly, things like that. I played with him in the Arizona Fall League, and we've kept in contact over the last seven years. But just trying to get a hometown kid to tell me what he felt, how he felt about the organization in the area, and the things like that. He's a kid who grew up seeing the Phillies have success. So going through those times with the fans and things like that, it was good to get his perspective and hear how he felt. Number three, I'm making $26 million a year. That's going to be able to bring some other guys in as well to build up this organization. There's another guy, hint, hint, in about two years that comes off the books. We'll see what happens with that. So he's obviously talking about his conversations with and about Mike Trout. Here's the question. Is this right or wrong for Harper to do this? Has he breached an actual rule or just ticked off the older generation of baseball players and fans? I think it's more of the latter, but there are some that disagree, especially good old Tony La Russa, who has never minced words, when, especially when he's arguing about Harold Baines definitely being uh, the right pick for Hall of Fame. So La Russa has this to say about Harper's actions on his uh, Twitter account it's disrespectful to the angels not sure what that means and to the greater game to start trying to influence a guy's future ahead of time now i don't i'd like to really understand what this means disrespectful to the game i mean i know what it means you know, don't disobey the rules but if it's if it's not a rule just because you don't like it or the game is changing or evolving doesn't mean it's disrespectful to the game. There are many different ways that you can respect things, just like there's many different ways you can disrespect things. I just don't think this is one of them. These are players talking about playing together. I mean, they're still kids. I'm 36. I'll be 36 about a couple weeks. So I'm about 10 10 years older than some of these guys, and you want to play ball together. Let them talk. Larissa, you may not like this because it's bad form or against unwritten rules or etiquette, but there's nothing wrong with it. All right, so I want to real quick go over something I read on CBS Sports. Writer R.J. Anderson makes several claims that no one got upset about other instances where this was kind of happening. For example, tampering rules are in place so teams won't reach out to contracted players in order to dictate their plans. Okay, that's teams, not a player. But that doesn't stop teams from advertising their interest through the press no one seemed offended when the Yankees leaked that they were interested in the Rockies third baseman Nolan Arenado a season before he was slated to hit the open market likewise nobody had issue with the years of rumors connecting Harper to the Cubs and Chris Bryant no one had a big deal about that but because Harper actually came out and said this this is why athletes should have PR because that happened now it's a big deal because Harper's just talking about it maybe Harper shouldn't have said anything but I don't think it's that big of a deal In my opinion, nothing is going wrong here. No one's doing anything wrong, and I feel that those who are holding on to how the game quote used to be aren't really upset about the direction the game is going. Okay, listen to me. I think they are honestly just sad, and I'm not patronizing them. I'm being sincere. I feel that the game is passing by and evolving, and it's doing it without them. I mean, isn't this how just things in life go? Life moving on without you, you resent the changes because you aren't involved in them. And I think this is the case. Lovers of the game who aren't ready to move on so then they just pick and choose things to criticize of the new generation because they don't like how it's going on and they don't like that the league is forgetting about them. And it sticks. but it's part of... It's the circle of life. That's just how it goes. So I really think some of this comes from anger, not necessarily disagreeing with what's going on next headline yahoo sports wrote a column going over manny machado and some of his recent quotes and here here are some of them i will always be the villain no matter what machado said i don't know why that is just stuff i have to deal with have been okay dealing with the situation that doesn't bother me he's also said in the past i've done some pretty dumb things i'm not gonna lie i see the things i've done and i've done some dumb things At the same time, I have done things to get blown out of the water, and suddenly I'm that guy. At the end of the day, I play baseball, and I don't let anything else get in my head. Okay, so he's also mentioned that the hustle comment didn't come across as he intended. Well, then clarify. If it wasn't how you meant it, explain yourself. Here's the thing. Many people hate certain players often because they're good. They have beaten their favorite teams over and over, and it's not fun. People hate those things that are better than they are or better than what they root for. That's a fact of sports. But Manny is none of those. Manny has not slayed any dragons or defeated any foes. Just roll with me on this metaphor. So dear Mr. Machado, you haven't accomplished or done anything noteworthy to consider yourself the villain. And maybe you are the villain now, but not because of your career, not because of anything that you've done. It's only been because of a stupid comment that you made about being the villain. I'm over it. All right, last thing here. NBC Sports. The MLB and Dr. Meredith Willis of The Athletic conducted separate experiments on the baseball last year to determine whether or not its design had been altered intentionally for the betterment of the game or for practical reasons due to availability of materials and and that type of stuff. And here's the conclusion. Both parties saw that the ball had lower drag, therefore possibly allowing the ball to travel higher and further than the balls pre-2015. Now, according to NBC sports writer Bill Bauer, Manfred, there's that name, is not conceding to the evidence. Bauer says Manfred said that the recent rise in home runs has to do with non-ball factors, more so than any change to the makeup of the baseballs. He cited training, analytics, and coaching as reasons for the surge in dingers. It is interesting that Manfred continues to go against well-sourced evidence on the matter. It is also interesting that the commissioner is contradicting the findings of his own league's study. Now, my point here is not to talk about the ball, but a certain phrase in Manfred's explanation to the rise of home runs. And here it is. He cited training, analytics, and coaching as reasons for the surge in dingers. All of these reasons bode well for the league and how they want it to look. But what sounds better? The MLB is gaining popularity and exploding in offense due to all of the work in forward-thinking training, analytics, and technology and our esteemed coaches. Or, them baseballs had done Ben Juice, so now they go real far. Which one sounds better? Come on, Manfred, we see right through you. Now, before we get into the real reason you've tuned in, I wanted to mention something I stumbled upon about two weeks ago. As you know, I don't speak much about stats and highlights and such things on this podcast. It's more opinion and discussing the nuances and mental side of things. So the Thinking Baseball application and service really caught my eye. As a former player and coach, it really intrigued me. Thinking Baseball is the only multi-sensory educational app that allows you to see, hear, and touch the plays. 8,000-plus situational questions to develop your game knowledge, select plays by position or answer coach assignments, constantly challenge yourself no matter your level of knowledge, track your progress and collect points and trophies, and work on situations anywhere you have a device, and even in the offseason. The goal of Thinking Baseball is to teach young ball players that everyone has a job in every situation, no matter where the ball is hit. Thinking baseball, get your head into the game. Here we go. MLB and the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball, ALPB, say that five times fast, announced the experimental playing rules and equipment that will be in place during the 2019 Atlantic League championship season. There's a list, uh, about six, I think, six or seven. And this is, a, this is a three-year agreement. I don't know if they have to do it for three years before they can integrate it into minor league ball or into the major league, or if they can breach this contract anytime any time and say, okay, we're going to move forward with it. I think it's smart. You should do it for three years, definitely. prizes isn't a five-year thing. Having this agreement with the Atlantic League, why not the minor league? Because they're not affiliated. So I think they're, I don't know what the reason is for this. They're kind of, their hands are, they're kind of holding this league at arm's length to a certain extent. I mean, they've partnered, so there's, there's money being exchanged. And in the Atlantic League, it's, it's not like a summer collegiate league. Where you got D1 through D3 schools playing the summer for a short season. This is these are some veteran pitchers and players that even have some more playing time than those in the minor leagues. So this isn't you know mom and pops you know sandlot league. Now, you know what that'd be funny to see mom, grandfathers and grandmothers playing baseball out in the in the dirt. I'd pay to see that. Anyway, I want to go through these points, give you some of my opinion, and some other comments from other outlets I've seen, maybe give a better explanation, come to some conclusions, and then get lambasted on Twitter by you guys. It's what makes it fun. All right, number one, no mound visits permitted by players or coaches other than for pitching changes or medical issues. I get this is to cut down on the timeouts, but I don't know why a coach has to walk to the mound to change out a pitcher. To me, this should be reversed. The whole five mound visits per game, that was fine. Whatever. I don't think it's going to speed things up or slow them down. I don't. But why do you... I mean, what about they have to have a conversation? Like, sometimes you have to have that. Mound visits are necessary for the game. It's just sometimes they can be a bit much. So, limiting them, I I get it. I'm not too upset about that. But why limit them 100% but still have the coach go out there? If anything, the coach can call the bullpen... From the dugout. Why does he have to go out there? So for, for me, maybe cut down. If you want to do something different than what's currently going on in the MLB, say three mound visits only or something like that. Or how about this? Why is this even included? I, I think it's, it doesn't do anything different than the league does right now. Having the coach be the only one that goes to the mound. You, you, have you noticed I'm stumbling over this? Because I don't know how to explain it. I don't know where it makes sense. And so I sound like a bumbling idiot. But this should be reversed. Coaches shouldn't have to go to the mound to change the pitcher. That's just silly. Pitchers must face a minimum of three batters, the number two, or reach the end of an inning before they exit the game unless the pitcher becomes injured. No. I don't like that. You want to bring in a relief pitcher for one batter and waste that pitcher? Let the teams do it. Why limit the strategy? That's what these things are doing. They want to pick up the pace of play, which, again, I will say for the hundredth time, is not the issue with baseball, in my opinion. They are limiting the strategy of the game for the sake of pace of play. There's other ways to do this. Pitchers facing a minimum of three batters, that's thats stupid. Moving on, that's all I have to say about that. That's tough. Increase the size of first, second, and third base from 15 inches square to 18 inches square. I guess that's, it's, to me, inconsequential. It's almost like they just put ideas in a bag and pulled that one out. Maybe because of Manny and Aguilar's incident at first base, like, oh, now let's make the the bag bigger. It's like, no, the bag's fine. I, I will argue this until I'm in the grave or blue in the face. Manny clipped Aguilar, but I've never seen a first baseman keep his foot on the bag and with his heel popped up in the air for a beat or two after they've already made the out usually they spring off the bag and they start throwing around the horn if there's no one on base. And I don't think there was anybody on base. Even if there was, as soon as you catch the ball, you pop off the bag. That foot was left there intentionally. And Manny kicked it intentionally. Manny's looks worse. His is a cheaper shot. But, like typical MLB fashion, let's make one rule completely based upon one play. That's just dumb. But again, rules are made for the minority and not for the majority who actually abide by how a game is played. So, fine, increase it. Who cares? Time between innings and pitching changes reduced from 2 minutes and 5 seconds to a minute and 45 seconds. Yes. This, This should have been done a long time ago. I think it could be less than a minute and 45 seconds. I understand he needs to pitch from the mound on the field, but he's been pitching from a mound in the bullpen the entire time for pitching changes. And oftentimes we've heard Major League Baseball players say, we're just standing around the outfield waiting for the commercials to come back to play the game. We're ready after about a minute or so. So this, this is good. This, this shouldn't even be tested. Just put it in the league now. So I went through those first four, not really quick, but first, because I, I'm, I'm waiting for the doozies. Home plate umpire assisted in calling balls and strikes by a TrackMan radar tracking system. I'm absolutely against this. Not because I don't like technology. I love technology. It's, it's doing great for you know, analyzing players and, and, and seeing, you know, putting them in the best position to, to win a ball game and to be successful. I, I'm all for technology. Sports technology is great. And honestly, I never liked the replay rule in baseball. Talk about pace of play. You want, a quick, you want to pick up pace of play, get rid of the replay. But they're not going to do that because it's shown that umpires have gotten a lot of calls wrong And so when they get reviewed, they're overturned. And so I wish it had never been integrated because it slows down the game. But now that it has, you can't take it away. It shows that sometimes, a lot of times, more often than not, things are getting wrong. Um, They're getting called wrong on the field. Not balls and strikes, but on the field. So that I understand, but uh, you've got replay for football. You've got it for certain fouls in basketball. But with robo-umpire, as we're calling it, the issue I have with that is this. It's live. It's not, the, the, the play hasn't died and they go over to a tunnel and, and look at the play. This is live. This is technology calling live pitches. And that's an issue. I don't think technology is there. Uh, what about those, those times where it doesn't work? Or they make a wrong call. They're not they, the umpire, but the technology. Do they get to argue that? They should be able to. It's It's being recorded. So like, oh, wait, that looked like a strike. Uh, the robo-ump didn't call it a strike. Can we go back and look at that? Because we've got it documented. And since we're using technology, we should be able to look at it. So they you're going to get people arguing that they can look at every ball and strike. Now, they may put this in the rule book saying, no, you still can't argue balls and strikes. More than likely, they will. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. You're integrating technology during live play. I don't like that. I, I don't, there's too, too many issues could arise. Now, Colorado Rockies uh, starter, John Gray, he actually, he thinks the umpires can be assisted. Uh, he says it gives them a visual of what the strike zone really is. It's not necessarily taking over for them, but they're getting assistance. So it's maybe not necessarily a robo umpire, but maybe it's something like on those fringe cases. Like what I thought would be cool, and I don't know if technology will get there or already is here. A lot of umpires, they're well, they're, they will wear glasses to block out a glare if it's really bright. Give them some high-tech glasses that as they shift and where they are behind the catcher depending upon left or uh, right-handed batter the what's the word i'm looking for like uh, the image the see-through image radar on their glasses overlays the the plate and that right there makes the call and if there's something close in and, and it doesn't register like um this does not compute it was too close to make a decision then the umpire uses his best judgment i'm wondering if that's what he's talking about like I think assistance is okay, but having technology call the balls and strikes and the umpire has to call what is designated, I don't like that. To me, there are certain things where the league can evolve and then there are other things where it's like now you're starting to mess with the game and everybody has a different line or a different interpretation of where that line is. And so I, I think it's going to be agree to disagree on all fronts with something like this. I don't think anybody's ever going to completely agree. I have my opinion. That's based upon my experience playing and watching, and others have their opinion. And it's not really going to be changed. There's no amount of arguing that's going to have someone switch over, I don't think. But I'm not going to stop watching baseball to do robo-umpires. But I will tell you this. it's It's not going to make things better. You're, you may eliminate certain issues, but it's going to create others. What about those times where it doesn't register ball or strike? Because that will happen. Technology, the one thing technology is consistent on is breaking. It's going to malfunction. So when it does, then then what? Then the umpire has to make his judgment call just like he used to. And I swear the game is going to be under protest because that one crucial ball or strike was called by a, a physical human being and not the system, just like every other ball or strike. Games are going to be played under protest. It's going to happen. I, just, I think this is entering into an area that we don't want to deal with. There are too many consequences. The risk is greater than the reward, in my opinion, with this. Okay? Second big issue. Require two infielders to be on each side of second base when a pitch is released. If not, the ball is dead and the umpire shall call a ball. This is banning the shift. And it's funny, uh, Bryce Harper, one saying make baseball great again, pretty much what he's saying is let me hit a lot of home runs and have a high average and get a big payday again. He was mesmerized that there were actually four people in the outfield uh, the other day because I think the shortstop shifted over and played that that little rover position that you play in like co-ed softball, that fourth outfielder. The, the moment these sluggers' averages start to tank, they're going to point their finger and say, it's the shift. It's the shift. Well, it is. It is the shift, but it's strategy, not something that should be banned. I used to think, hey, ban on this is silly. It's like illegal defense in the NBA. I have been humbled. I have been convinced that the team, again, the league, the teams, baseball in general, should not be penalized for their strategy for the sake of pace of play. There are other ways to make pace of play better. If you even think it's an issue. So the shift should should be able to stay. Banning it is silly. And then finally, the distance from pitching from the pitching rubber to home plate is extended two feet. But it's not going to happen until the second half of the season. Now I understand maybe it's to, to allow the pitchers to get their arms in like midseason form. So the adjustment is a lot less demanding than starting the season off with it being two feet back. To me, if you're going to make this agreement, you, sh- you should have allowed them to start doing this in the offseason, which just goes to show you that I don't think any of these rules in the have really been thought through. It's just like, uh, here you go. Let's pull them out of a hat. Yes, these seven, but let's throw in this other one uh, because we we want people to-, to like that one. So we'll sneak that one in there. But all these other ones, ah, who cares? And then in three years after this deal has been done, let's grab another bag and pull out seven more. Let's just keep doing this. It's great. Dodgers' Rich Hill thinks it's, it's stupid. He thinks it's nonsense and ridiculous, so there's his quote. Mine with this is I don't really think, I think it's going to give pitchers even more of an advantage. Yes, it's going to bring the speeds down a little bit, but, but the amount of time that a batter is going to have to respond to a fastball at 60 feet 6 inches as opposed to 62 feet 6 inches is very, very minimal. But what it's going to do is it's going to give those pitchers a lot more space, two more feet to work those nasty off-speed pitches. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see offense go down. You are. I think this is going to make the pitchers even more dominant. Now, there are other factors that come into this. There are many factors, and that's the issue. If we were going to test out these rules, I think you need to do it for, for longer than three years. Now, again, they may do it for three years. They go into the minors, and we may not see it in the majors until 10 years. I don't believe that. I don't believe that it'll just be 10 years. I think we see these things coming. I would not be surprised if we see them before the three years is up with the Atlantic League. I bet my money on it. And you know what else I think is going to happen? I think eventually they are going to shorten the base paths. If I had money, (laughs) I would bet that. I don't know when, but I I feel that that's how it's going. You're messing with the mound. Now, the mound hasn't been touched in about 100 years. And it was uh, moved back, and it was also lowered. Uh, I think 1968. I think you should lower it again. I think that's the solution. Something has to be done because pitchers are too dominant. So let's tweak things a little bit. I'm I I, I I'm okay with that, but moving it back is just one. I think it has the potential to harm pitchers' arms because they've got to relearn everything. It may not take a ridiculous amount of time, but they're going to have to relearn. Batters aren't going to have to relearn anything, really. They just have to wait a beat longer. So I think this is a bad idea. And And here's the biggest issue. All commissioners, all public businesses, especially sports, all front offices want to save face. I don't think there's any way that these rules get implemented into the Atlantic League and don't see time in the major leagues. Because it's going to look like a failed experiment. And when something is a failed experiment, then you have to apologize. And you're not going to get any apologies from the commissioner or anybody in the front office. We've seen that day in and day out. It's excuse after excuse. So the MLB does not want to see these fail. Even if there's just a small, ample amount of a change in pace of play or offense increasing, they are going to say it's because of these rules and they're going to go ahead and bump them up to the, to the MLB. They're not looking for a huge change. They're just looking for a tiny one. And I think if there isn't a tiny change, they're going to make some kind of excuse. Manfred has always proven, this is why I brought it up in Hardball Headlines, already proven that he'll see the evidence and he'll weasel his way around it Because he's got an agenda. He's got a legacy. And that's what matters, right? That's what matters. Not the game, but a certain person's legacy. And he's just messing with the game. So that's my opinion on all of this. I have a lot more to say. And I won't say it. Because my voice is starting to go. And I'm tired. But let's continue this conversation on Twitter. And let's just, you know, I'm okay with being wrong. I don't think I am. But I'm okay with it. And I'm going to argue as if I'm not wrong. That's that's part of having convictions about certain things. I think it's exciting to talk about this stuff. I appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next week. See you. Well, folks, that's a wrap. This has been a Ball and Bit podcast production. Take a gander at our website and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Farewell, baseball fans!